thing to say we love him. And I hope you can say both. I really do. Um, the more our eyes are open, we, the more we understand, the more we see, the more the truth of God impacts our lives. And, you know, we'll think about the cross and the resurrection next week. The more you see and understand the beauty of Christ, the love of Jesus for you and for me, the more we love him back. And I hope either you love him with all your heart or you're on your way to that. Uh, because that's what changes a life. And that leads us into something incredibly beautiful with him. It's kind of what I'm going to talk about today. I didn't think of that, but here we are. Well, you know, uh, I've been away in Florida. Can you tell? I can't help but get a 10. I wore a baseball cap the whole time, and I'm still, you know. Um, but after speaking about idolatry a couple of weeks ago, um, I got to tell you, I was tempted. I was tempted to worship the sun god. Like, you know, people used to worship the sun, right? I get it. This ball of power and, and, and light, which would cause things to grow and warm you as you're lying by the pool. You know, but I didn't worship the sun god. I was, ca- I was tempted to, to worship the pool god. I went to my parents' condo. You know what those old folks keep their pool at? Have I told you this before? 90 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> it's like you're in the bath, you know, and you just float there in the sun, and it's like incredible, <laughs> especially after this winter, right? But I didn't worship the pool god. And then I was, I was tempted to worship, and some of you might understand this, the, the golden corral god. Anybody know the golden corral? If you've been in the States much, it's this, it's this massive, massive smorgasbord, 11 bucks and you can eat till you, well, I won't say that. But I mean, it's a lot of food if you want to eat it. <laughs> but I didn't worship the, the golden corral god. Uh, I just enjoyed these things. But I come back, and I want to speak this week uh, about idolatry again, and, and the call of God to worship him alone. Um, not, not to worship things like we talked about two weeks ago. If you weren't here, we talked about how work can become workaholism, and, and we worship it, and how we can worship our food, and the approval of other people, and sexuality, and money, and things, and sports, and that one person we worship potentially, Right? Um, the, the, the lesson then from Isaiah 44 is pretty clear. These things that you might bow to, you might raise up a, and exalt in your life and think are so incredibly important, they cannot provide to you what only God can. They speak a lie. They don't have any power to change your life and satisfy your soul. Um, and I want to go to Isaiah 42 today. It's a prophecy about the Messiah, the one who would come named Jesus. And uh, the one whom we know and love and worship. And how we are to be in relationship with him. All right? So I'm going to read Isaiah 42, 1 to 8, rather than 1 to 9. Ryan, 1 to 8 this morning. And then we'll focus in. So it says this. Here is my servant. Now it's speaking to the Messiah to come. The Lord talking. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. 
I will take hold of your hand, again, speaking of Jesus. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes of the blind. Note that, will you please? To open the eyes of the blind and this, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Then this, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. My friends, I want to tell you, when we unpack this, if, you, if we take it seriously, it will change our lives. There is powerful, powerful teaching in here. Verse 7, you know, talks about this idea that, that there are people who need their eyes opened. And there are people who are prisoners and there are people who need to be released from dark dungeons. Take a moment and imagine this. Can you do that? Do you exercise your imagination very often? What would it be like to be blind, to be imprisoned, and not only to be imprisoned, but to be imprisoned in a dark dungeon? Think of it dark and damp and miserable and hopeless. Let me ask you a question. Who is this speaking about? It's speaking about every single person who is going to ever be born into this world. And I want to tell you, it's speaking about us. We are these people, potentially, who are blind and who are imprisoned and who are sitting in dark dungeons and need to be freed. Every human being, we need to come to see what we're blind to. There's something that the Lord wants to show us. We are people who need to be set free from the power, the constriction, the restraint of sin and evil in our lives. Later on in the chapter, Isaiah talks about, um, about uh, people being deaf. They can't hear the things that God wants to speak into their lives so that they can find life. That's the point about this, right? That if, when we're caught up in idolatry, we never find it. But Jesus has come that we might know life but through sight, through hearing, through freedom, that we can have life eternal and life abundant and life to the full. God wants this for you. And he wants it for me. This is the, the mission of the Messiah and it is his passion today. So there, there's the context. Then comes verse 8. Powerful verse. Because it basically says... God says, I am the Lord, as opposed to all those pieces of wood. Remember, two weeks ago, if you were here, I had wood. And I talked about how human beings take a piece of wood, and they carve it, and they put it on a pedestal, and they bow down to it and worship, thinking that it has power to save them. And Isaiah comes along as a prophet of God, and he said, if you believe that, you believe a lie. They have no power. They can't do anything to save you. Only the living God has the power to meet the needs of your life and to, to exercise his power in your life in order to free you and to give you life. I just stop for a minute. Do you think you found that? You think it's something that's activated in your life and is, is part of your experience? It can be if it isn't. You know, who is, you know, it says, I am the Lord. Who is this Lord? Well, he's already described it earlier in the passage. He said, I am the one who created the heavens. I have stretched out the earth. I give breath and I give life to people. What is being described when God says, I am the Lord? He's describing himself, the powerful creator God who gives and who sustains life. I am that God. And then it says, this is my name. And in scripture, the name always refers to the character of, of the person being described. This is who I am, God is saying. I am God. I am the powerful one. I am the life-giving one. And then comes this bold, bold statement. I will not give my glory to another. I will not give my glory to another or my praise idols what is glory 
I've shared with you this, this definition or understanding of glory before because it just works so uh, deeply into my soul when I think of it. But glory, the, the word comes from an, an old, old concept, and it's the weightiness of a king's robes. In, in these ancient times, a king would wear these heavy, heavy robes that would signify his status and his power and his majesty. And he would enter into a hall, and the people in the hall, their eyes would widen and their jaws would drop as these people were amazed at what they saw in these robes and in this person who was standing in their presence. Or I should put it other ways, they were now standing in his presence. And they would recognize the, the, the greatness of the king, and they would bow before him, and they would give him glory. You get it? The one of incredible significance, the one of weightiness would be the one who was bowed before and who would be worshipped. And then this idea of praise. Praise is a fairly simple concept in one sense. It's just knowing the character of the Lord. This is my name. This is who I am. And then telling other people about him. You praise someone by describing their character. You lift them up. You elevate them. That's what we just did in song, I hope. Not just in word, but in the reality of your hearts. We praise the one who is great. My friends, here's the dynamic. We give glory. We give weightiness to things which we come to think are so incredibly important, and then we live for them. Even things that we consider weightier than God and his word. That's the dynamic of idolatry. It's just what it is. Um, and in Isaiah 42, God comes along and says, if you want to be mine, if you want to be in relationship with me, um, the reality is that you must worship and give glory to me alone, to none other. I will not give my glory to another thing, another person, another being. You see, there is exclusiveness in following Jesus. Do you understand that? This Messiah who was to come, the one who would represent to us in beautiful form the, the Father in heaven, there is an exclusiveness in our relationship to Christ. And the exclusiveness speaks to the idea that we worship God alone or not at all. That's his comment. See this in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus, um, you know, spoke to this dynamic in several ways, but never more profoundly than in Matthew chapter 6 when he was talking about the potential of laying up treasure in heaven rather than earth. I didn't, by the way, connect this sermon with uh, the, the comment about the authorized withdrawal, so don't, don't go there. But... Um, but he says, he says essentially that that's what we're supposed to do. And then he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the word money in the original language really is wealth, and the, and the love of it and the pursuit of it at all expense. Um, Jesus is saying there's an exclusiveness to loving God. You know, you, you, you love God and you hate money, or you hate money and you love God. It's one or the other, he says. Uh, it's, it's, it's a comment about our hearts, you know. It, I mean, in, in essence, it's one or the other. But it's also a comment about the willingness of God to not put up with a divided loyalty. You understand that? A divided heart. He says, don't do it. I'm not going to tolerate it. Isaiah chapter 42. It's like a marriage, you know, where a husband loves his wife, but his wife has another lover. <laughs> it doesn't work. God's like a husband who wouldn't put up with that, hopefully, for very long. God says, no, 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 no. You want to know me? You want to love me? You want to worship me? It better be me and me alone. No one else. Nothing to rival. Nothing to rival me in terms of your heart. 
I want to tell you this. God speaks this commandment in Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 42. If we can go back to that text, that would help. Isaiah 42, um, verse 8. He, he gives us this commandment out of love. Do you know that? See, God knows that idols keep us imprisoned in dark dungeons. He knows that. He, they keep us from life and from joy and from goodness and meaning and significance. All these things that we've previously described. He knows. Think about the Garden of Eden. That in order for a human being to know joy and to, to, to know deep love that would transform their lives and give them significance and, and deep meaning, he knows that we will only find it in a relationship with him. Nothing else will provide it to us. And he comes along to us and he says, you know, Adam and Eve has lost it. You human beings have lost this blessing, but you can find it again in this Messiah, indeed, who is to come. And I want to tell you, my friends, what the message in, in essence is saying is, turn away from your idols. Repent of them. Turn away from them. Repent of, of what you have done. And as you turn from an idol, turn to me, the Lord Jesus says, the Messiah, and in me you will find life. You will, he says. Now, I want to tell you, the Bible is phenomenal at this point because in many of these typical idols, such as I've described to you, the Bible comes and he speaks, it speaks directly into it and into our lives. God speaks directly into our lives, telling us how to free ourselves, how to turn from an idol, and how to embrace Jesus. And I want to run through some of these things with you. I'm going to start with the one that we took from uh, Matthew chapter 6, the idea of loving money. Money is not a bad thing, but loving it is and, and worshiping it is. It's so easy to say, there's the weightiness. That's what I'm going to live for. That is what I consider significant and awesome and remarkable. I'm going to bow to it, and I'm going to live my life to accumulate it. And the Bible comes along, and it gives us like an antidote so that we might break free. You know what the antidote is? Anybody? called giving it's called being generous to the extreme it's called tithing when we give away our money it's like taking this idol that once was or potential idol it's like sticking our finger in the eye of the god of wealth it's like coming to it and defying its power by letting it go saying i don't care about you i don't love you here have some money and we give and god calls us to give like that you know, it's, it's us saying to this potential idol, I will not bow before you. I won't do it. I will not honor you above all, and I will not live for you, and I will not glorify you. As a matter of fact, you know what I'm going to do? And this is typical of all idols. The potential is there. We can, we can take our money, and we can use it to bring glory to God so that God's will can be done. I don't know about you, but I think that's a phenomenal thing. The will of God can be accomplished through the use of what once maybe was our idol as we let it go. How about the God of food? You know, Philippians, uh, I, I believe, I didn't look it up, I think it's chapter 2 or chapter 3, Paul says that the, their God is their stomach. <laughs> is that good? I mean, did I just get a check mark or something? Or? <laughs> All the teachers are in the room are going, yeah, that works, that works. Yeah. <laughs> But God gives us an antidote for the potential of, or for the idol of, 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 of food, the idol of, of our stomach. You know what that is? Nobody knows? Huh? Fasting. It's something that not a lot of Christian people do, but Jesus says, do it. 
I, I, you know, this is one of those things. Jesus said, I won't always be with you, but when I'm not, then you can fast. But, you know, we're supposed to fast. And what happens when we're, we're, we're getting into fasting? What are we doing? We're turning away from food and its power. We're doing it with intentionality. We're doing it with incredible purposefulness. And we're saying, you know, you do not have that hold on me. You know, you, you, you know, I am not going to bow to the idol of ice cream one more time in order to feel good about myself. Because that's why we go there, right? To have a little joy in life, to make me feel better about who I am. What we do, you know, is we turn from food for a season and we turn to Jesus. And in that place, we're empowered by the risen, powerful, empowering Son of God. And the deepest needs of our lives are met. And we find joy in Him. And we don't eat ice cream anymore. I can tell who does this because you've got big smiles on your face. Isn't that an incredible thing? One of these real basic needs in life that is somehow corrupted and becomes an idol. And it's possible when we have our needs met in Jesus that when we, we can start to, you know, glorify God in our eating, eat in a godly way, to honor him, to show weightiness to him by living in obedience to what he calls us to. What happens when work becomes an idol and workaholism takes over at the extent that... Um, um, Expense, thank you, Joe. Uh, you ought to be up here, man. I just sit down. But the expense of everything else. Sometimes we work to such an extent it becomes so weighty in our lives. We think it has such significance that our, uh, we hurt ourselves physically and our marriages are, are hurt and, and they struggle and our children don't have the, the parenting that they need as they grow up and on and on. It becomes, that's, that's, that's weightiness. That's significance. We give glory to it. And God comes along in scripture and he, and he gives us an antidote. What's the antidote? Sabbath. Thank you. Every week, one day, every seven, the Lord comes along and says, you stop working. You turn your back on your, that work. You, you refuse to bow to it. You keep it in its place. You keep it in perspective. You recognize that, that it is not God and it's not all that important. And you turn to Christ and you find your worth and your significance, not in your work, but in, but in the Lord Jesus himself because you are a precious and beloved child of God and he delights in you regardless how successful you are at work. And what do you do? You turn to the Lord and, 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 and you worship him. Sabbath, here we are. And, and we set it aside so that we might sit in the presence of Jesus like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, listening to his words. And we are nurtured in Christ and our soul's needs, the deepest needs of our lives, I hope, are satisfied in this place as we encounter him and we are changed. You see, we deny the God of work. We just say no to it. We refuse to bow. And we give glory to God as we worship him on his day. How about um, the God of sexuality, which we spoke to? <clears throat> what, is the, what does God bring to us? What is the antidote? You know, we spent time on this in recent months, uh, quite a bit in that whole dating, love, sex, and lasting relationship series. But... You know, we simply submit to the call of Christ. Remember Ephesians chapter 5, the passage we studied. It said, there, let there not be a hint of immorality among you. Not a hint. It says, don't, make the, don't joke about it. He said, it's shameful even to talk about what the, the pagans, the non-believers do. Don't even talk about what they do. It's shameful to talk about it. 
And we get into that place which the Bible, Bible we described as sexual purity, and we, and we refuse to bow to the God of sexuality, and we, we bow to Christ himself, and we live in obedience to him, and we give him gloriness, glory, he give, we give him weightiness as we do what he says. And you know what? Essentially, we fast when we need to fast. Before you're married, you fast. You abstain. After you're married, maybe a marriage ends for one reason or another, you fast. Until maybe God blesses you with someone else to marry. And you know what? Even in marriage itself, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul counsels married couples to occasionally take times and step away from sexual intimacy. Why? For the sake of prayer. For the sake of turning to Jesus and encountering the Lord so that he is the one who satisfies our needs. Even in marriage, it's not a physical relationship that can satisfy our need. So even there, we fast as God calls us to fast, and we give weight to Christ, and we bow before him in obedience. How about the approval of people? Again, you know, it is so possible that we can give such weight to what people think of us that we live for that. I told you a couple weeks ago, that, that was me, and it's still my temptation. Historically in my life, it has been so important to have people like Chris Little. Remember in grade 13, we had that a while ago. There's a guy called John Powell, and I heard that John didn't like me. I thought, he doesn't like me. I thought, literally, I thought, nobody doesn't like me. Why doesn't he like me? And it was, I think, pretty true. I think John Powell was the only guy that didn't like me in a class of hundreds of grade 13 students. I want to tell you, I worked to create that reality, whether I knew it or not. And I used to live for people's approval, and it was weighty in my mind and in my heart, and it motivated me in terms of how I lived. The Bible calls us to turn away from that God and to turn to Christ and to recognize something in his presence. And you know what we recognize when we really get there and the eyes are open and the ears are unstopped? We learn we don't even have to work to gain the approval of Jesus. If we are in him, we have it, and he delights in us. He thinks we're awesome. He loves us. And, you know, when you come to that understanding of the love of God in your life, you don't work for his approval, but, you know, because we have been loved, we just start loving back. We just start being, you know, eager for the things of God. We want to honor Jesus. We want to live in obedience to Jesus. And like Jesus said, the, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. It's not hard to do. It's easy because our need is met in Jesus. We've turned away from the idol and from sin. And it's just something that captivates our lives. You there? And you know what? We don't care anymore about what people might think. When I'm on my game, I don't care what you think. I just care what my Lord thinks. How about the God of, of sports? talked a couple weeks ago about how we give them the big money and we bow before them when they make amazing plays you know what god has given us to free us as an antidote from the god of sports toronto maple leafs <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you that's why i threw that in two weeks ago because i knew this moment was coming <laughs> oh how can you worship those guys huh yeah listen can I ask this question? Are there any blind eyes being opened right now? Anybody beginning to see and understand? Are there any deaf ears that are beginning to hear? The living God, the God of power and of truth and of beauty speaking into your hearts and minds. 
Are there any people who are, have been captive who are beginning to see the possibility of being set free? My friends, what we have to do is identify our idols, number one. Do you know what yours are? Do you? Otherwise, it's all just gobbledygook. Nice talk, Chris. Bye. Do you know what your idols are? Identify our, we need to identify our idols. We have to repent of them. We have to turn away from them. We have to turn to Jesus, and we have to give him glory. We have to give him weightiness in our lives. He becomes everything to us, and he alone is the one whom we worship. When you turn to Jesus, you will know his presence and you know, you'll know his power and you will know his love and you will know his beauty and you will know the fulfillment of your deepest need. And I'm not kidding. If you find him. And so all these other idols, they won't be weighty anymore. They won't have, such, they won't have significance anymore. And we will literally use each one of them, I hope you've heard this, to become a means whereby we give glory and worship to the Lord. We eat in a godly way. We, we work in a way that will glorify God. You know, we, we uh, glorify God in our relationships, in our sexual lives, and so on and so forth. Jesus gets the glory, not the competition. Listen, let me just say this briefly. Um, there are some who say, you know, I, I can believe the right things. I want you to hear me, IPC people. Like, hear this. Especially the, you, those of you who have grown up in the church. Hear this. You can say, I, I believe the right things, like I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again from the dead, and I've asked him to forgive my sins, and I'm going to heaven. I believe it, but I can still love money and live for it, give it weightiness in my life. People think this, but the living God comes along, and he says, I will not give my glory to another. I will not do it. You are wrong. And I say that on the authority of Scripture. It's not possible. There are people who say, you know, I believe the right things, but, but you know, I can, I, can still, um, uh, I can still allow my stomach to be my God. You know, I can. I can. I can believe the right things, and I can still eat a ton of ice cream and go to it instead of go to Jesus when I need to. But the living God says, no, you can't. You misunderstand the relationship in which you which you enter into when you said, come into my life, Lord Jesus, and forgive my sin. You are my Lord now. You are the one I give glory to. That's what it meant. And if you don't, didn't understand it then, understand it now. And there's some people who say, you know, I can, I can believe in the right things, and I, you know, blah, 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 but I can still participate in sexual immorality because I believe in the right things. And the word of God comes and says, I will, give no, I will not give my glory to another, and I say to you in the authority of scriptures, no, you can't. And so I could go on. My friends, God gets to define our relationship with him. And the relationship that he calls us to, that the Messiah came and died and rose again that we might enter into, is a relationship where he and he alone is given glory in our lives. He and he alone is the one that we bow before and worship. Nothing else. And no one else. I've asked myself in, in pre preparing for today... Because I long for, for freedom. I long for freedom from my idols. And I say, I can get myself to that place, but how do I stay free? These things are powerful, and they can suck us back in. Um, and I want to suggest to you today, based on the teaching of Scripture that we've been addressing, the way we can stay, get free and stay free is to get 
ourselves into the presence of Jesus and worship him. We get ourselves into the presence of Jesus and we worship him. You know, we get ourselves in the quietness of whether it's a, 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 a service such as this or in the quietness of our home, and our eyes are open to see the beauty of Christ. We see the king dressed in his royal robes, and we understand the magnificence of who he is. And we open up our hearts and minds to, to him, and he speaks into our ears his love for us and how he delights in us and how we are precious to him. And, and we, our spirits meld with his, and his truth impacts us deeply, and we, we become pre-fall Adam and Eve in the garden where we're walking with God and we know joy and peace and beauty and delight and the deepest needs of our lives are met. So out of that comment, let me ask you this question. And I want, to, I want every, each one of you to think about this. This might even be some good homework for this afternoon. Do you get a lot of homework? Not really from, from church, but I want you to keep paper and pen. This might be a good thing to do this afternoon. I want to ask you this question. Why are you here right now? Um, I know there are folks um, who like to go to a place where they're going to hear a good sermon. I experienced this in Florida again. Well, let's go there because there's a good speaker there. Let's go there. Good speaker there. Are you here to hear a good sermon? Are you here to hear good music and participate in great praise? You're here to, you know, kind of hang out with, with your crowd and connect with people that you love. Excuse me, I'm glad you love them. Have coffee with them. Is that the point? Come here and enjoy the people you know and care about. You hear say your children have children's ministry and the blessing of what we offer that way. I'm going to say this without an ounce of judgment in my mind, but I, I might be speaking truth to somebody today. If these are the reasons which bring you here this morning, you are not here for any other reason than for your own sake, to benefit yourself. And if that is the case, you are here to worship you. And I would like to suggest another reason for coming here on Sunday morning. Can I suggest that we come to this place each and every Sunday morning to humble ourselves in the presence of the mighty, majestic beautifully robed king of kings to bow before him to lift him up in our minds and our hearts to repent of our sin to hear the king speak into our lives and to yield again and again and again to him in obedience and in so doing all these things to bring him glory i hope that's why you're here When we get into the presence of Jesus and we worship him, we are reminded who is God. And our needs are satisfied, so we don't need the alternate gods of this world, which are powerless anyway. And we are reminded deeply and profoundly who the King of Kings is and, the, and who it is, who is the one we are to glorify. Just briefly, we can do the same thing in our homes every day. Every day. You know what the blind do and the deaf and those who are imprisoned? You know what they do? They run around chasing after idols, maybe all of their lives, and they do not have time to humble themselves before their Lord, the Lord Jesus, to elevate him in their mind and to worship him as they hear from him through the reading of Scripture. 
They don't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus and allow the living God, the one who gives life to our souls, to satisfy us. And as a result, they remain in dark dungeons. And they never know life. A couple of questions to bring this to a conclusion. Number one, how much weight does God have in your life? How significant is he to you? How, how big a deal is it that we live to give him glory, to live in obedience to him, to build his kingdom, to do what he wishes? How important is that? My friends, that can be the reason for our living. Number two, question number two. Very simply, my friends, who here wants to be set free from the power of the world and all of its idols, from the lies which we've come to hear and believe? And who wants to discover the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of what it means to sit in the presence of Jesus? Here's how I want us to <clears throat> conclude today. I'm going to take one minute or so of silence in this place. Participate if you wish. Don't if you don't. A lot has been said here this morning. This is a challenging sermon, right? It's one of those. And I, what I would like us to do is to go into a time of quiet, reflective prayer and just ask, Lord, of all the things you have heard, I have heard today, what is the one thing you want me to do as I leave here in this next day and in this next week? What is the one thing that you have quietly tugged at my heart with that I might live in obedience to you that I might give you weight that I might give you glory that I might bow in your presence that I might worship you and you alone let's pray Father come now by your gentle spirit and speak that still small voice into our minds into our hearts speak that your people might hear they might know the path to life. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to see your beauty and your majesty as never before. Open up our ears to hear your words of salvation, of saving grace. Free us, our God, from the worship of idols, that we might worship you alone and give you glory. Satisfy us at our deepest level, Lord Jesus as we take time to be with you here together on Sundays and in our homes, satisfy us at our deepest levels. We might long for nothing other than you.
And this we pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us?